Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Double B Creates. And I didn't say all right right off the bat. Thank you to Brad's wife, Becca. You're welcome. That is a win. <laughs> Today we're talking to uh, probably one of the most fit people I've ever spoken to in my life. Uh, we're talking to Sandra Blackie today, and she has some pictures on her social media. I'm not entirely sure everything she's been through. I hope to dive into that, but uh, she has an incredible physique, uh, knows her shit when it comes to nutrition. She's got a couple programs and stuff like that. So uh, thank you so much for hopping on. We appreciate you giving us the time uh, and I'm excited to learn more about what you do. I'm always excited to be invited to a podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, so you've got like, I, I kind of found you through, I think Rob Garcia and we kind of shout him out way too much, but um, you've got some pictures and stuff like that on social media. So I know you're really into fitness. You've done competitions, bodybuilding, stuff like that. Uh, can you kind of, Give us like your, your background, like what got you into uh, fitness and things like that versus um, where you're at now and stuff like that. Kind of just give us the 10,000 foot view of, of your history. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was brought up in a family in Canada on the south shore of Montreal in the French province of Quebec. And my parents were really good at encouraging us to do sports in high school and to do sports even outside of school. So over my lifetime, because I just seemed to have this great genetic gift, I was nationally qualified in five sports and professional in one. And my sister and brother were national champions in two sports each. So we used to joke around that it must have been the water in the community that we were brought up in. <laughs> Because our small community had a lot of athletes um, back in the 80s and 90s. But I, I've always enjoyed sports. I mean, basketball and track and field and hockey and all kinds of things. But bodybuilding really spoke to me because it was also a way to chisel my body and it was a way to perform. So when I won the Canadian National Championships in 1986, I started looking into, hmm, how seriously do I want to take this? So I came to California on vacation a couple of times, and I went to the Gold's Gym in Venice, which is considered the mecca of bodybuilding. And every time I went back to Canada, I felt like I was leaving home. So I packed up my bags, and I had $1,500 and a head full of dreams, and I left. And I'm still here. That's awesome. I was actually going to ask you if you've been to that Gold's Gym in Venice. That's awesome that you've been there. I ran my personal training business out of there from late 1987 until the spring of 1993. And then moved to San Diego because my coach at the time wanted to create franchises for his nutrition and personal training business. And he chose me for San Diego and he chose another gentleman for La Jolla, uh, not La Jolla, uh, Laguna. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got to San Diego. And eventually I bought him out because I wanted to do some things my way. And I still to this day teach a lot of what he's taught me. 
So Brad knows a lot more about this industry than I do. His entire family is currently competing in uh, WABBL Wabdle, uh, powerlifting. His wife's an Olympic lifter. Uh, I used to do hockey and mixed martial arts, so I'm <laughs> I'm a little bit out of my element at the moment. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. We all have our specialties, right? Absolutely. So. Uh, that's why Brad was like, oh, Venice, yeah, I know that. That one's like the elite. Yep. <laughs> yep. I that. did do powerlifting. Did you? Which, which uh, federation did you lift in? The, hmm, I can't remember the name of it, but it was the Canadian Federation. Oh, okay. And I ended up being national. That's one of the sports I was nationally qualified in. So back in the 80s, it was around 86, I did um, a 302 squat, a 347 deadlift. And I think my bench press was the weak one at the time, around 175. And I did more after that in the gym, but not on stage in a competition. What was your body weight? I was uh, competing in the 135 category. Holy shit! <laughs> Brad, everybody knows nobody ever asks a woman her weight. Dick. Good lord! <laughs> That's, wow, okay, props. Props to you. <laughs> no, I don't lift like that today. I mean, that right. was from probably 1985 to and 84 to 86, I want to say. And then I, um, I herniated L4 and L5, not lifting and powerlifting, picking something up with my back in the wrong position to put it away. Oh, wow. And I twisted and my knees weren't in the right position and it was really painful. And so the doctors and the chiropractor that I was seeing told me that they wouldn't treat me if I was going to continue powerlifting because I was undoing the good that they were doing for me. And I said, well, that's okay because I like bodybuilding anyway. I was more into the aesthetics of sculpting my physique and learning about nutrition. And there's more prize money involved in bodybuilding, not so much in powerlifting. And I don't want to lead the audience to believe that bodybuilding has a big purse either, but it was still more than the powerlifting. So I went in that direction. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, powerlifting, I mean, you don't get very big purses. And then bodybuilding, it's more in the sponsorships where you get the money from bodybuilding anyways. Back in the 80s and early 90s, uh, Weeder used to give out a lot of contracts. Uh -huh. So there was a lot of really top bodybuilders, mostly men, but a couple of the women that got to travel around on um, a form of sponsorship. Right. And I, I did have a sponsor for a short time, and they were called Aminoderms. So it was amino acids for the skin, like a, a mm. skin cream. And it, it allowed me to go to uh, a couple of competitions because I hadn't placed high enough for the IFBB to pay my way at that point. And so I, I looked for sponsorship and so they were able to pay my way for a couple of shows. Well, but if it's cool. your big time, like Mr. Olympia, eh, most people have a side job. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's when I have a buddy that uh, is trying to do that. And I went, you know, you wanna do like house shows in Utah? You you need to go to California and go to the Mr. Olympia or the Universe or you you got to you got to grow big. 
Yeah, because you, if you want to make the money, you got to put in the time. So you got to lift and learn how to eat right and learn how to take care of your body. It's not just lift, lift, lift. I mean, you have to know about um, the different training principles, the different recovery principles, how to eat during different cycles of training. Like the way we eat right before a competition is not the way we eat when we're in the off season. So right before a competition, we're shedding that extra layer of fat to unveil the muscle underneath. But in the off season, we bring a little bit more body fat on because it gives us leverage to be able to lift heavier so that we can have bigger muscles if that's what the judges need us to improve on. So you can't build muscle if you're on some kind of low carbohydrate diet and you don't have energy. I got two points to that. Uh, when I was doing mixed martial arts um, before a jujitsu tournament, I was like, I'm not doing the weight cut because sweating in a freaking sauna with sweat bags and all that stuff for three hours is a nightmare. And so I, what I had done was I killed all processed foods, killed all water intake and uh, switched over to coconut water only for hydration and ate uh, basically like spinach, kale, uh, chicken, uh, cranberries, stuff like that, that wasn't like high in sugars. I lost 14 pounds in a week, naturally that way. And I made weight, like I was like half a, half a pound off. So I was able to do the tournament and I lost my ass, but uh, Everybody on my team was like, oh, you're an idiot. I'm just going to go do the sweat routine. I was like, have fun being dehydrated, peeing orange. <laughs> yeah, those dehydration techniques are real extreme. And, and some of the diet practices that people use when they're cutting weight are extreme as well. And if you really think about it, in all sports, there's a performance aspect that requires energy. Right. So whether we're talking about mixed martial arts or wrestling or bodybuilding, if you dehydrate or you cut your carbohydrates, which are the uh, foods that give you energy, mm -hmm. first of all, you don't feel that great. Second of all, your, your performance is affected. Even if you win, it has been affected. Right. And then after the event, most people are slugging back a ton of water because they're dying and they're over-consuming and indulging in foods that they shouldn't because they've been so deprived for X amount of time. Yeah, we got done with that tournament. I was like, I need a burger. Let's go out to eat. But uh, <laughs> that was the sweetest burger ever. But like uh, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go low carb. And I'm like, do you plan on doing that the rest of your life? And they're like, well, no, only until I hit my goal weight. I'm like, well, guess what? You're going to gain it all right back as soon as you're done. And they're like, well, what came? I was like, well, it's really, really strict to like get back into getting into like a normal carb load. So you might want to do a little bit more research before you hop on the keto wagon. <laughs> I, I love people that do that. And then they complain because they cut 70 pounds and six weeks later, they gained it right back. You know, I always tell my clients because I'm a certified sports nutritionist as well. And I teach my clients how to eat for their goal. However, I am not that quick fix person. So whether I'm working with an athlete, you know, um, a housewife or a businessman, 
I'm never telling them to do anything that I would label as extreme. So I'm not the keto girl. I'm not the low carb girl. You know, I'm not the Atkins girl. I talk to my clients about what their goal is. And I talk to them about sustainability. And I want them to think, okay, when you reach your goal weight or you reach your fitness goal, have you thought of what comes next? And you know, most people don't think that far ahead. I think not only that, a lot of people, like I was talking to, um, we did an episode with Sally Bell Pittman and I had a kind of like a onboarding call with her a little bit. And she goes, what's your, uh, what's your goal? And I said, well, uh, I want to have the energy that I used to have back in high school when I had ADD and I was playing hockey and uh, everything else that I was doing and not be fatigued after X amount of time. And she goes, you're the first person I've ever talked to that didn't say, I want to lose X amount of pounds or I want to fit in X size pants. And I was like, that's not fitness, that's size, that's weight. Like that has nothing to do with your health. And she was well, like, I can't believe that you just said that. <laughs> I was like, well, it's true. <laughs> you know, weight and health are related, not in every single person all the time. I, I had a client and he was about 300 pounds. Now this man was brilliant. Um, he made a lot of money in his job. And he'd come into the gym and he'd make comments about all these buff guys. And he would say, you know, they might like look good on the outside, but they probably don't have a brain. They, they're probably not making $2 million a year. Right. Yet he would always talk about every time he went to the doctor, his cholesterol was in range, his triglycerides, his blood pressure, that he was healthy. And you know, I, I did my best to educate him on, well, maybe your numbers are good now. However, wear and tear at that weight on your joints and on your heart and on all the systems of your body, at some point, something's going to show up. So let's think more in a preventative way. And, you know, I, I can't honestly say that I am successful with every single person. Because a person has to come to a nutritionist or a trainer with a very, very open mind. And often when they come, they're wrapped up in a lot of myth information about what it should look like. And then when I talk to them a little bit more, they realize that it looks very different. So there may or, they may or may not be ready for the journey. And that's fine too. You know, I can take it slow. I can go a little bit faster if the person wants me to, but I still have to do one thing and that's put health first and educate them mm -hmm. so that they're not impatient or they're, they're um, not doing something unrealistic or unhealthy. Buying all the infomercial quick fix. I'm going to cut all your fat pills. No. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that believe that quick fix uh -huh. kind of stuff. And I spend a lot of time, um, I, I get a lot of people that want fat loss and I, I get a lot of people that really do have what I call myth information. The media is a really powerful tool, don't you think? Yeah. It can really convince you to think a certain way about anything, really. That's a big rabbit hole we could really go down. <laughs> yep. Well, and I think the other thing that a lot of people, I think they don't understand 
about their own personal health is they need to be able to be all in because there are going to be days that suck. You know, I was eating 10,000 calories a day once powerlifting. Wow. (laughs) And that sucks. That's seven meals. And if you're not hungry, you still got to eat. And people are like, well, how'd you do it? You just eat. And people are like, well, how do you eat now? Uh, I, I have three square meals a day now. It's great. It's amazing. <laughs> and I think that's one thing is a lot of people want to get the body that they want, but they don't want the difficult part. They don't want to do the work. And sometimes they don't realize how much work, you know, they say, hey, I want to look like this. And they show me a picture. Well, to get there, if they're showing me a picture of an athlete, yet the person's in front of me looks like she needs to lose 50 pounds. We're probably having a conversation about that picture is a professional athlete or a nationally ranked athlete. I'm not saying it's impossible, but how long do you think it will take you from your point A now to arrive there? And the answer is typically shorter than what's real. So people operate from a level of ignorance. And I don't mean stupidity. I don't mean to be rude when I use that word. They just simply don't know. So as a a trainer with 35 years of experience, one thing that I have discovered is that education is so important because the average person looks at what's on the internet. Mm -hmm. My sister-in-law is this way. She'll say, I get so confused because one minute they're saying this and if you go to a different website, they're saying that. Well, that's, that's true. However, the best place to start is with the basics that are not opinions. For example, a basic would be all humans need to consume protein, carbohydrates, and fat. A belief is that carbs make you fat. That's not a scientific fact. So there's a lot of people out there that operate on a belief system that's not scientifically based. And then they're doing something that's not realistic and something that's not sustainable and often something that really does have a negative um, effect on their health, whether it's short term or long term. So I want my clients to get out of that I'm in a hurry mindset and educate them so that they get the goal and they actually stay in the goal so that they don't have to get the goal and get the goal again and again and again. Absolutely. Uh, and, and speaking of your clients, um, where can people find you? Like what's your website and stuff like that so people can check you out and maybe uh, contact you? The website is www.freedomoffitness.com. And under programs, there's um, a lot of choices because I do work with people via Skype or Facebook Messenger. Um, I work with them in person. I work with them indoors, outdoors. And I've even, during COVID, trained somebody on Skype. They just put their computer in a position where I could see them, and I guided them through their workout. Nice. That was... a a pretty cool experience for me. I'd not done that before. Most of the online stuff is more consulting, like um, talking to them about their lifestyle and 
rearranging their diet and talking to them about the, the value of doing their cardiovascular exercise at a certain level of intensity. It's more conversation. But to have the experience of actually training somebody via Skype, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it is really cool. I mean, like the, the technology, I work in the tech field uh, regularly. And um, it's, it's really cool to see how things are transforming. Because I remember when I was a kid, we didn't have internet. And then all of a sudden we did, but you were like limited to like three hours a week or something like that. And uh, if you wanted to download a picture, it took like 20 minutes. And we were like, this is so cool. It's so fast. And now it takes more than like two seconds. I'm like, you slow piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I can give you, go one step further. Um, I'm a little older than you. I remember when I lived in Canada, we had two English TV stations, two American ones, and two French ones. The TV was black and white. The phone still had the cord on the wall. And there was no such thing as the internet. I remember the cord on the wall. And I remember being the remote for my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that or black and white TV, the radio one that sat on the ground. Or like, the you foil gotta, on top. You got to hold the antenna. Don't move. Sorry. <laughs> oh, so you remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good times. <laughs> and fitness has come a really, really long way. Like when I first started, uh, well, in school, you know, there was always different sports, but the women were not allowed to play high school football back in my day. And the community where I was, the women were not allowed to play hockey when I was younger. We were allowed to be part of a, a co-ed broom ball team. That was about it. Hmm. And we were allowed to canoe and kayak in our small town. But the women didn't, or the girls, I should say, the teenage girls and younger, we didn't have a lot of options because back then there was a different mindset about women and, uh, women and athletics. And when I started bodybuilding, which was back in 1983, people were shocked that I wanted to make muscles that were visible on a female body. It was just not the norm back then. I think you know, the response completely belongs to you, Brad. Yeah, I uh, I hate when people are like, well, I'm not going to lift weights because I'm a girl and I'm going to look ugly. It's like, you're not professionally bodybuilding. You're okay. A <laughs> well, little that, bit of firmness is awesome. Not to mention his wife is a coach at a college. Yeah, my wife is a track and field coach at uh, the college out here in Kansas. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. She, yeah, she's like, no, it's not that cool. And I'm like, name 10 female track and field coaches in the United States. And she goes, okay, I guess it's cool. <laughs> I mean, there's still a lot of, you know, even in my sport, the men make so much more prize money than the women do. And yeah. if you really think about the anatomy and the physiology of both genders, women have more body fat than men based on our hormones, based on just being female. So for us to get super lean for these bodybuilding competitions, it's um, harder to do than the men. Not, not to take away from the efforts that the men have to make, believe me, getting ready for these bodybuilding shows, we have to do extreme exercise and eating behaviors to have that extreme end result. 
you know, you don't go to the gym two to three days a week and you know, pump iron and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Linda Murray are one of our Miss Olympias. It's funny you know, that you said that. Uh, uh, my wife goes, oh, we're going to start working out and this and that. And she, like two weeks later, she's like, you're showing all these results and I don't show shit. She's like, this isn't fair. <laughs> like, well, I'm a dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that Sorry. from the women all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a little bit more work for you guys. There's nothing I can control. <laughs> and you know, just um, in general, when I measure body fat with an eight site caliper, the settings are different for men and women based on gender and based on age. And if I could just take, um, you know, like 10 women and 10 men and measure them all, and they're all athletes, the men are still lower than the women. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for women to say, oh, it's not fair. Yeah, I, I get, you know, some of my clients say that and they giggle about it. And, you know, they know when they're saying it that they, they sound kind of goofy. And, and we both laugh about it. But that, that's where the education comes in. It's not healthy for women to be as lean as men. When you see a really lean looking female, chances are she's not spending 365 days of the year looking that lean. She's probably gone into a phase of leanness and or she's got that leaner body because, you know, if you if you've ever heard of somatypes, body types, there's the ectomorph, which is the skinny person, the mesomorph, which is the um, muscular person, and the endomorph is the fluffier person. And we all have genetic components. You know, you just look at the members of your family. If everyone's fluffy, yeah, it's probably gonna be hard for you to achieve a lean athletic build, but you can be better. And for that skinny person that looks like, you know, a lanky basketball player, they're probably never going to put on the amount of muscle of a Mr. Olympia. So we have to recognize that our we do have genetic limitations as human beings. So most women are not going to get freaky muscular if they touch a dumbbell. I like that you brought that up because right before you hopped on this call with us, I was sending Brad a couple of your links and he goes, she has a degree. Wait, what degree is this? And he looked it up and went, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> oh, uh, the bachelors of, um, I have a BA in a recreation and leisure studies with a major yeah. in theology. I had to look it up. Cause I'm like, what is this? Like, I've never even heard of that. And then I read it. And I'm like, okay, I understand what it is now. In Canada, um, I went to Concordia University and they called it that, you know, maybe in the States they call it something different. Maybe like um, in Canada, an offshoot of our recreation leisure studies program was exercise science. So you, you got less of the social aspect of bringing people together for fitness and health and wellness, like a coordinator of a YM or YWCA. Whereas the exercise science person, we got, you know, I took classes in that department for my BA, but the exercise science is more of the chemistry and the, the going in more depth with the biology of the human body. 
I think you you kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, I, I do have one question for you though. Uh, we were talking about your past and how you got started and people were like, oh, you're a female and you're gonna get muscular and, and do these shows. What was the hardest part for you in that journey? Ooh, um, well, I'm gonna get real honest. When I first wanted to look like a bodybuilder, there was very little information available in Canada at the time about any of it, especially the eating part. So the woman that coached me won the 1981 or 1982 Canadian championships. And she was teaching a bodybuilding class at the YWCA. So when she first coached me for a show, she taught me how to eat less. I was pretty much starving. And I did the show, but there was only six women in the show. So I was really lean and we were all small, muscular women, not, not muscular by today's standard. And I won my first show. So I thought, wow, I'm made for this. And so I kind of got a little cocky about it. And then I got my butt kicked the second show. <laughs> anyway, when I started bodybuilding, we were taught to, um, cut our calories and cut our carbs and, and do real extreme things. And what that did for me, and here's where the challenge comes, is after every show, let's say I lost 25 pounds, I could gain that back in three weeks. Mm -hmm. So it was similar to what the wrestlers and you know people who have to make weight experience. They do something extreme and they gain it back. Well, psychologically, that was uh, horrible for me. And it felt like an eating disorder. And it got to the point where I didn't know how to live in the middle. So I was either bulking up, eating a little bit too much and not eating responsibly, or I was cutting and doing it in a way that was too extreme. And then I lost sight of what it was like to eat like a normal, healthy person. And I went back to school. I, I met Dr. Philip Golia and he had a master's in dietetics from the Duke University Diet Dispensary. He was my coach because he was smart, he was encouraging, and he also won the California State Bodybuilding Championships, I think in the 80s at some point. So he was the white coat and the athlete all rolled in one. And he got me out of that feast or famine struggle that I was in. So a group of people that I'm really good working with are people that go through that struggle, where they're essentially borderline bulimic because they're being taught to diet and then they can't sustain it, so they binge, then they feel guilty, and then they restrict themselves again and they get caught in this vicious cycle. And that was my biggest struggle. And when I met Philip and he taught me how to live in the middle, he said, look, when you eat 1200 calories a day, you feel like crap, right? And I go, yeah. And he says, when you eat 5,000 calories a day and it's all cheesecake and Mai Tais and pizza, you feel like crap, right? And I go, yeah. And he says, is your way working for you? I go, apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> so he taught me that what I was doing was um, just not serving me and convinced me that I just needed to open my mind and do it different. What did I have to lose? And he was right. And that was the hook. And I just put myself in his hands. He was educated, he was experienced. And um, 
I, I'm so blessed that I met this man because one of my competitions, you know, we were exercising maybe three hours a day at the Miss Olympia level. I was eating 4,000 calories a day, high level of activity, intense workouts, six days a week, but I was losing body fat. And because of changing my lifestyle and not just starving, I ended up placing in the money for the first time in my competitive career. That's awesome. Well, that was the struggle. Yeah, I, I can understand that struggle. It took me a long time for me to understand what my body needed at what times when I was powerlifting. And that's, yeah, I, I would agree on that. That's, that's mm -hmm. a struggle and a half. Even now, like, it's been six or seven years since I've been powerlifting because I hurt both shoulders and then hurt my back really bad. And I've finally gotten back to where I can lift again, but I really haven't. And uh, everybody's like, well, are you just going to jump right back into it? No, I got to take little steps to get into this. And they're like, well, why not? I go, because don't you see the problem is you just, oh, I can just jump into it. Then three weeks later, you're going to, this sucks. I'm done. Exactly. And, you know, with the average person, if I take a new client and I push them too hard and they get too sore, there's a potential that they're out of there. So I'm very gradual with them in the beginning. I do tell them that they're going to have some muscle soreness, but I follow some scientific principles. You know, I don't just pull a rabbit out of my hat. I've been a teacher for three different schools, uh, one in Quebec called Coach Export, uh, Mueller College, which is closed, and the National Personal Training Institute, which is now online. And when you train the trainers by working at these personal training schools, you learn a lot of science. So every time I teach or every time I have a client, I learn something new. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, if you were to tell someone that is wanting to make the leap into getting themselves, you know, whether it's weight loss or getting fit or staying fit, what would be like your big, what, what would you say to them? Well, the, the first thing I would say to them is I, I want to meet them where they're at. So I asked them a bunch of questions to have an understanding of their experience with exercise and food. So if they know nothing, the starting point is going to be a little bit different than somebody who's maybe more of an intermediate person. But even with the intermediate person, I'm still meeting them where they're at because I, I do a very thorough intake with them. There's about 30 questions I ask and I do some fitness testing and I do um, measurements on them. So if we take a beginner, for example, the science that I use is called the optimal performance training model. And there's five phases to it. Now, the average person doesn't necessarily use all five phases. They use phase one, two, and maybe three. So let's say that phase one is a high repetition type workout where the weight is low to moderate so that they can control the movement patterns and learn posture technique and range of motion. So I'm 
making it manageable for them to feel successful. I want them to feel that they can do this. If we're talking about the nutrition part, again, I meet them where they're at because I'm asking them to journal their food for a couple of days so I can see what they're doing. And most people, even if they say I eat healthy, they have to make adjustments to eat more goal oriented. So, you know, obviously we're not going to be at our best if we're eating a lot of white flour, white sugar, alcohol, um, harmful fats, and foods that have words that you can't pronounce. So I guess to answer your question is I meet them where they're at, I educate them, I start with something that is manageable for them. And it's a little different for each person. So let's say they stick with me for about four to six weeks and all of their movement patterns are really good. They've got their cardiovascular program going, they're starting to eat healthier food. We're gonna change the workouts and it's personalized, but we're gonna start increasing the volume of work. Maybe more exercises for a body part. Uh, maybe the cardiovascular component is more of um, a hit cardio or like fartlets or interval training compared to steady pace. But again, it's a, it's a building process. So if we go to the third phase, by this time, they're pretty fit. They've been training for about eight weeks and they've strengthened their joints, their ligaments, their tendons, they're, they're eating better nutrients to build muscle or lose fat or perform better. And so now we can push the envelope a little bit more weight wise. And then the fourth and fifth phase would be more for athletes, which would be strength and power, something you're familiar with. Yeah, those, those can be rough. Um, so we do have one scripted uh, question that we always ask. Um, and it is, what is your personal definition of success? Wow. Um, hmm. I feel very successful because what I do completes me. I'm passionate about what I do after 35 years. I love helping other people. I feel successful because I make a difference in people's lives in terms of health, fitness, weight, functionality, energy, all these things that make us enjoy our life better. Now there's a small little piece that goes with that. Right now, because of COVID, most businesses or most personal trainers have had to change their business quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So in terms of financial success, this is a rebuilding time. So I feel successful in what I do and it goes through feeling financially successful in waves. There's a constant building and changing process. What I've learned recently is to feel more successful financially, I've had to learn more about online platforms to do my job. And that can be exciting in and of itself because I feel successful when I learn something new. I totally get that because sometimes I'll go like, I, I, we got to figure something out. We got to, 
make this work and I'll spend like all this time. I get so frustrated and it starts working. I'm like, yes, there's <laughs> like total nerd. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I get all excited when my 73 year old client does 10 reps out of a chair, uh, um, a squat out of a chair, 10 reps with her chest in the right position. Cause she's older and she's a little bit more hunched over hypotic. We call that. So when she gets 10 reps in a row and her chest is up and her posture spot on, I get all excited about that. Yeah, totally get it. Same feeling. You know, there was five years ago when last worlds I went to, um, there was an 87 year old guy there and he deadlifted 110 pounds. And it was louder for him than the guy that broke the current world record in the bench press at 1,400 pounds. And Absolutely. Like, well, um, I go, because we all want to be that 87-year-old that can do that. I'm never going to be able to put a bus on my chest and press it. But <laughs> if I can lift 100 pounds, yes. That, that's amazing. I, you know, I'm getting older. I'm going to be 64 in October. And even though my training is not six days a week, you know, two to four hours a day, like a competitor right now, it's, um, I've been, when the gyms were closed, I was training outside of my condo on the grass under a tree with my training partner, who's been with me forever. And we had to get really, really creative because it's not like I've got a leg press that I could slap on a bunch of plates and, and feel like a superhero. So being able to do something like getting on a BOSU ball, you know, those flat on one side and yeah. like yep. they're half ball, getting on a BOSU ball with 25 pounds in each hand and knocking out 15 reps without falling off of the thing at 63 and a half years old, I felt pretty successful doing that. That's pretty successful, honestly. My training partner is going to be 80 in October. You should see this guy. He's a lean, athletic-looking rock star. He can do two-foot box jumps. Wow. Wow. Yep. And so can I, but, I mean, he's almost 80, so it's more impressive to say that he can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, – I we got in a conversation, Brad and myself – not too long ago, I was I was building a garden and I had a tractor tire that the former owners left in my yard, right where I'm putting the garden. And I said, "Hey, dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna start uh, tire flipping this across my yard." I picked that thing up and I was like, "Screw this!" And I just like rolled it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's a thing now. Apparently, people really like even in at the gym where I am, I see them flipping the tire across the parking lot. I mean, yeah. that's not something I've ever done personally. I've got a torn labrum in my right shoulder so that, you know, my tire flipping days are probably not going to start. <laughs> <laughs> They're a lot heavier than they look. <laughs> yes, I, I definitely agree. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it was like last year, um, I live in a small town. We have a wood stove for heat in the winter. Uh couple of years ago it never got above zero for an entire month here um so i was chopping firewood all last year by by hand with an axe uh, splitting axe and i was like oh i'm never gonna get a log splitter and I, i'm gonna be the manly man i bought a log splitter this year i'm not <laughs> doing that again 
that sucked. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people can get really fit just by doing labor. Yeah. That, that was kind of my point is uh, even if we don't have a home gym or if a gym's closed or there's not one nearby, uh, there's always stuff to do um, like mountain climbers and stuff like that, planks at home. Um, there's tons of stuff. You could, you could do a burpee lap around your house and probably want to kill yourself after, but. <laughs> <laughs> or, or lose your last meal. <laughs> <laughs> that too, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, during COVID, when the gyms were closed here in California, um, I have an office at the gym San Diego and it's the biggest gym in San Diego and it, it attracts a lot of bodybuilders and powerlifters and, you know, people who are into that. But we also have men and women in their 80s and 90s that come maybe during an off time, like in the morning. And and we've got you know some younger kids. I, I've trained people as young as 12 years old, um, not hardcore bodybuilding, but exercise. And, and we use a little bit of resistance and body weight and stuff. And you know, there's such a, what was I going to say again? We're talking about the gym. What did you say just before I started? Oh God, I'm having a mind. Using different stuff. That you oh yeah, right. So, yeah, in the gym, you know, we have everything. Our, our gym is just huge. It's got five of everything. Well, during COVID, I mean, I have three pounds up to 25 pound dumbbells, but I'm stronger than 25 pound dumbbells. These are the tools that I take to people's homes so that they can continue being fit during COVID. And, you know, we would be six feet apart and people were wearing masks. And, you know, I've got some clients where, um, you know, one gentleman I train, his wife has an autoimmune disease. And so he has to be very careful. Somebody else I work with has two very young children and she's very, very nervous about all of this. Another couple I work with, they live with their 88 year old mother who's very sick. So people are, are compromised and my clients are not jumping into the gym scene right away. So I'm still doing things out on the grass or in home and we just make them, I just make them feel safe. You know, I say, it's your home. What would you need to feel safe? So if I have to wear a mask when I go into my 73 year old client's home and be six feet away, she's still getting her fitness on. Right. Between you and I, I can't wait to get back and actually, you know, push some weight on a leg press or, you know, do something I haven't done that's heavy in a while. The thing is, is you need to start slow. Even though I've been working out three times a week outside and, and pushing myself hard, it's not the same as when you go back into the gym and use different tools. So even in, in my case and, and my training partner's case, and, and like um, we were talking about earlier, you can't start where you left off because it's going to hurt. Mm -hmm. Or you, I mean, hurt in terms of muscle soreness, you know, like we call it DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness, but it could also be hurt, meaning injury hurt. And some people don't know the difference. So we, we all have to use some common sense about gradually going back now that the gyms are open in some of the states. You know, I've got a hilarious story about that. Uh, my wife has joined a, a CrossFit gym because, you know, we don't know anybody here and she wants to get back to the gym. And I'm like, I'm not going to do CrossFit. So you go enjoy yourself. 
and uh, she goes, well, I need like a pick-me-up. Do you got some pre-workout? I go, yeah, go ahead. And I told her where it was. Well, she took a full dose of oh. one that she has never had before oh. on an empty stomach. Oh, don't do that. And so <laughs> she went and worked out, came back, weeded, went on a 10-mile bike ride, came back, did a, like a circuit around the house. And then the next day she goes, what did I do to myself? I go, well, you like had more energy than like toddlers did. And she goes, I must've took too much. I go, well, how much you take a full scoop? I'm like, okay. Like I would take a full scoop at a competition. And she goes, <laughs> oh, no. oh, I go, and on an empty stomach. And I'm like, okay. Yep. You're going to hurt a lot. She did way no. better than I did. The, the last time I tried a new one, I was like, oh, yeah, I put whatever. I've been at the gym forever. Took the full amount and everything. Got almost to the gym, pulled over off the side of the road, started yakking, went home. She's like, nope, uh-uh, I'm out. No gym today. I screwed myself. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I'm not a, a fan. Like when my clients ask me, what should I take pre-workout? And I go, food? And they go, <laughs> what i go like real food like a, a little bit of carbohydrate or, or predominantly carbohydrate a little bit of protein not too much fat because fat takes longer to digest make sure that you're digested so that when you go to the workout you're not going to like lose your lunch yeah and they're shocked when i say that or they say well no no what brand of product do you want me to take and i go i don't do that I said, if you're looking for something that's inexpensive, that works just as well as, you know, some $3 bottle of Brand X, why don't you just have a coffee? That's probably the strongest pre-workout I've ever suggested to a client. Wow. Probably the yeah. strong. Well, I, I tried two pre-workouts back in the day, and one of them made me throw up, like your experience. <laughs> and one of them made me so hyper that – it affected my mood and no one wanted to be around me. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, I said, nah, nah, I'm not, I ain't teaching that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand that. I, uh, whenever I do buy a pre-workout, I, I read the label because I've taken some that have a certain ingredient in it and I'm a raging a-hole. <laughs> it is not even funny. And I'm like, yep, I can't oh, take you that. You don't need a pre-workout to be an a-hole. Oh, no. It is, like, <laughs> worse. I am the Hulk a-hole. When ephedrine was legal, a lot of the pre-workouts had a ton of ephedrine in them. And that was one of the, the – It pro, both of them probably had ephedrine in them. And my stomach just does not do well with ephedrine. And it's off the market now from – well, it was taken off the market. I don't know if it's snuck back in somewhere – but um, yeah, that was in the 80s and early 90s. People were taking this ephedrine stuff and, and you can have a heart attack taking that stuff. I remember all the commercials saying, if you were harmed by it, then call this number and there's a lawsuit. And all yeah. That. That's a huge one. It's, yeah. Well, awesome. I, uh, you gave us a ton of insight uh, in the last little bit and we really appreciate uh, all of the information that you've given us I really love what I do and you know I, I want people to 
you know, in America, if the numbers are still current, they might be a little different since COVID, but 68% of the American population is either overweight or obese. So that means that 68% is the norm because it's over 50%, right? So in the United States, it's normal to be overweight or obese. I'm not saying normal is good or optimal, but along with you know carrying too much weight, there are many diseases that become prevalent. Again, I'm not saying you're going to you know die or get one of these diseases, but you know the more overweight a person is, the more they're pushing the envelope. You know, no one wants to have a stroke or a heart attack. No one wants to blow out their knees because they're too heavy. Mm-hmm. Yet a lot of people in America struggle with weight loss, and it, it's it's not an easy thing. Because psychologically, there's a lot of um, barriers to get through in order to change your belief system and then change your actions and then get the motivation and the support so you stay in your action step so that you have the time and you're laying down this consistency so you can see the end result. And, you know, when I get clients that say, well, I, I only want to do 10 sessions with you and then I'm fine. And I tell them in 10 sessions, you're, you're going to learn posture technique, range of motion. You're going to learn um, how to manipulate the variables a little bit and how to progress. But if you really, really want to maximize that positive end result you're looking for, continue to use the trainer or the nutritionist as a consultant after your package is over or this is probably more true. It takes longer than 10 sessions for most people to have an understanding of what they should be doing. I completely agree. And that number that you gave at the first of that was dead on because uh, probably two thirds of the people in this conversation right now are classified as overweight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my BMI says that I'm morbidly obese, but I'm 6'4", 265, and the only thing I have a problem with is triglycerides. So it's like, how am I morbidly obese? Well, they're just using a height-weight formula to give you that um, result. Yeah. But anybody, like if I was the, the trainer, I would be encouraging anyone who falls into that category to take some action steps. Now, there are exceptions because you can't use BMI on um, uh, amputees and BMI does not work well with uh, muscular athletes. So when I was a competitive bodybuilder, my BMI said that I was overweight. But if you looked at me, you know, I was like 12% body fat at one point. Right. So the, the each way to measure something on a human, there's room for error and there's always the exception to the rule. Like I can't take an eight site caliper and measure all people and be accurate because the jaws of the caliper only open so far. And if somebody's carrying weight around their midsection, I can't open the jaws of the caliper wide enough to take a a skin fold. So I might use the BMI because chances are they don't have athletic muscle. And it's just, 
in fitness, it's good to have some kind of gauge. And it might be as simple as this. Um, since men carry weight around their midsection and closer to the heart compared to women, maybe for a male, they're using um, the holes on their belt buckle. Meaning that, let's say, they have two holes before the end of the buckle. Mm -hmm. And their goal is to lose body fat. And then three holes are showing. And then four holes are showing. You know, they don't need to do BMI or a caliper or get dunked underwater to know that they're improving. They can feel it in their body. They can see it in the mirror. And their belt is telling them too. So I don't need to do a bunch of fitness testing about weight on my clients. Sometimes I just need to look at them. So if I get a heavy person, I'm not bringing the caliper out for that session because I don't want them to even look at the gun and go, are you going to do that test on me? And then I have to explain that they're too fat and I can't, <laughs> you know, that would be embarrassing for both of us. Right. So I only take it out when it's the appropriate body type. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's cool that you mentioned that about the belt because, uh, like I, I'm six one. I was two twenty five uh, like a month ago. I'm at two ten right now. Actually, uh, this morning I was two hundred nine. Finally broke two ten. That stupid plateau. But um, I went down a belt loop not today. <laughs> so it was. I was like, huh? She mentioned the belt. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of what I'm on right now. <laughs> I mean, when you noticed that. I mean, didn't it make you feel like you were doing something productive? Yeah. Yeah. Man, so I wish I could be my clients. Yeah, Say well, it. I'm not six foot four, Brad. I think the last time I was two ten, I was in high school. <laughs> in high school, I was one fifty five at six foot one. <laughs> I think the lightest I was in high school was one ninety. I think. I was chubby in high school at one fifty five. I noticed actually that uh, a lot of people, not all, but many people that I, I know now that I went to like junior high and high school with that were chubby are way more fit than the people that were scrawny like myself now that we're older. And it's, it's been interesting to kind of like see people like uh, Danny, for example, he was always pretty chubby now. He's a freaking fit kid. Yeah. And he's my our age. But uh yeah, like I, I just remember me and Chubby and now I see him, I'm like, dude, you look good. <laughs> I, I went to um a small town reunion many years ago and I I really wish I could say that I came away with, oh my god, these people were awesome. But most of them were suffering from some disease, like a heart attack or diabetes or cancer. And that was sad. Many of them, many, most were overweight. And one of the girls was asking me if I wanted to snort cocaine in the bathroom. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm really glad as much as I, I love my hometown and there's a lot of real positives I could say about my hometown, that reunion didn't make me have a lot of confidence that everyone was going on the improvement path. <laughs> Man. That's crazy. I absolutely refused to go to any of mine. There was like, I had like 10 friends in high school and that's it. And I don't talk to most of them now. So yeah, 
moved on with my life. I'm not dealing with the past. <laughs> yeah, my wife's like, you should go. And I'm like, I didn't like school to begin with. And I didn't like half the people there anyways. Why am I going to go and... Why go super? Yeah, yeah. Like, no. I'm still close friends with the girls that I went to the first grade. Um, I've known them since we were five years old. Because back in my time in Canada... Uh, I was five years old when I went to the first grade. We didn't have kindergarten. Huh. It was a long time ago. And wow. we graduated in at, after the 11th grade. So I'm still friends with people that I've known since I was five years old. And last year, we took a bucket trip to Calgary and then up to Banff. And we walked on a glacier. That's awesome. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But, you know, a, a lot of my um, friends from way back then... You know, most of them are healthy. They're not all living in um, a body that would be considered optimal body weight, but they're healthy. You know, their numbers are still pretty good. Right. Um, I, I'm glad that at least my closer group of friends are not as far gone as some of the others. <laughs> and, you know, when, when they spend time with me, you know, I'd be – glad to answer questions and be helpful but i think they recognize that this is my job and when we're on vacation there's things i'd rather talk about but if you know they ever called me up and said hey Sandra, i'm really struggling with this particular part of food or fitness i'd be just bless i would be complimented that they would choose me to ask the question to right absolutely like there's always uh, you get a co-worker at a barbecue or something and all they want to do is talk about work and I'm like we're not at work shut up <laughs> yeah I mean sometimes when I'm in a social setting I've had to say you know they'll ask me a question I'll give them an answer and if the conversation turns into like 10 20 minutes I'm like okay you know like let's talk about this another time because I, I really don't ever expect it to go that long and sometimes it does yeah well, cool. Now we're uh, trailing off in the left field like we always do. So, <laughs> yep. Um, I don't have any other questions for you. I, I really love spending this time with you, and I really appreciate you giving us an hour of your time. Thank you. Thank you very yeah, much. It was great to talk to you and see your point of view. You know, I, I've done very extreme things with my exercise and diet, and you, you somewhat have to if you're going to be one of the top 20 women of the bodybuilding world. Right. But, you know, I, I just want the viewers to understand that that was a goal and that was a period of time. At 63 and a half years old, this is not who I am today. You know, today I'm an experienced personal trainer and nutritionist that helps men and women reach their personal health and fitness goals. And I'm encouraging that part of the toolbox they use be resistance training because it can keep their metabolism up. It can reshape their body. It can make them stronger more and, you know, have more endurance. I mean, it, it's not, lifting weights is not always about making muscle. Sometimes it's even about it enhancing athletic performance. So I always encourage my clients to put some resistance training in because if you just do uh, changes in nutrition and changes in cardio, for the average person, um, that's not all she wrote. So my programs are usually those three components, the foods, the resistance training, and the cardio. And that does not mean that we negate 
flexibility or um, some of my clients like to do Pilates or some of them play tennis. No, everything that involves movement and, and self-improvement can be part of our program. 